Hello, everybody. Welcome to another RiseCast podcast. Uh, this is episode six. And um, I think we've got a lot to cover today. Um, I want to welcome uh, Connie Dobson to the other side of the desk. Hello. And, um, well, let's, let's get, uh, get right into it. Um, man, a lot of stuff has happened this week. Um, I mean, we've got the final four, which now dwindled down to two. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to uh, give a shout out to uh, Gonzaga University. Gonzags. Um, it is Gonzaga, not Gonzaga. Um, as they made it to their first finals. And uh, they will be playing... The Tar Heels. The Tar Heels. Which go- I'm sure a lot of our listeners are probably Tar Heels fans, but I always root for the underdog, so go Zags. Go Zags. <laughs> um, let's see, what else do we got? Um, well, as we all know, baseball's in the air right now. Woo-hoo. And... Um, I mean, we've all seen pictures of the new SunTrust Park, and <laughs> let me just say, it looks phenomenal. It does. It's got. It looks to have that old stadium feel to it. It's very open, but you're very close to the action. So I can't wait for our first game at SunTrust. You know, I have to admit that um, you know, moving down here from Milwaukee. Uh, we had Miller Park and felt pretty spoiled. I mean, it was, you know, it had the retractable roof and it had that old ballpark feel. And I, I just love that stadium. And coming down to Atlanta and watching games at the TED, uh, for those of you that don't know what the TED is, that would be Turner, Turner Field. <laughs> um, you know, that old ballpark feel, the the bricks, you know, the open. You know, it's the, like it's like being at we've both been to Wrigley. It's like being at Wrigley, but not having to worry about concrete falling on your head. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> and for any any Brewer fans out there, you know, any dish at the Cubs you can get. It's hard to rip on them. I mean, they are the World Series champions, but hush. But uh, go tribe. Uh, I don't know. I will. I will never be a Cubs fan. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it looks phenomenal. Um, I saw kind of a humorous story that, uh, some season ticket holders that were sitting in the front row had to be relocated because if you look at the picture, it looks like the seating bowl is actually beneath the field level. So the field would be in essence raised up to your eye level if you're sitting in the front row. But with the tarp rolled in there, the they couldn't see over top of the tarp, so it was in essence um, uh, restricted view, uh, as we call them in Milwaukee, uh, euchre seats, and uh, they had to move and find someplace else to sit. So uh, if you are a, a season ticket holder or get tickets in the front row, uh, just remember to bring a phone book with you. <laughs> A booster seat. A booster seat. That's what's nice about exhibition games, though. It's kind of the trial before the season starts. So, the uh, soft opening. The soft opening, yes. Um, but uh, you know, we we all know that Atlanta has traffic issues, and 
No. It was already a nightmare <laughs> to get down to the TED. And then they decided. But we always took the MARTA, and now we don't have MARTA anymore. So that's going to be Well, like, like I said, if you're taking a car, the traffic issues were a nightmare to the TED, which is why you would take the MARTA. But they've now built SunTrust Park out on the perimeter. Cobb County. Where the traffic is probably going to be worse. Yeah, it's already bad. And it's just going to be even worse than it ever was imagined before. I mean, we've traveled 75 and, and 285. And that whole corridor is just a nightmare. Remember we were coming back from the Berean church after the march? And there was all the construction, and it just, I mean, it was a parking lot. Oh, yeah. And, and it, I, I, I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, it's going to be, they've basically said you need to commit a whole day, a whole day mm-hmm. to go to a baseball game. And, and I'll, I'll do it, you know, once or twice here, most likely on a weekend. But, you know, if you're going to, an, you know, want to see a night game, um, hop on the, the, the wagon and go see the Gwinnett Braves. Triple <laughs> <laughs> A ball, so it's 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 up there in quality, but uh, not the headache that it's going to be to get down to go see the Atlanta Braves. It sounds though like I mean like what we've been hearing is the battery down there is going to be really nice. That it's going to be really easy to spend an entire day down there. So it'll make the drive hopefully very worth it. Well, that brings up another issue because. Getting downtown now, your your whole route literally got torched. Yes. I-85 had a fire and the bridge collapsed. Collapsed, yes. So And praise the Lord, no one was hurt. I mean. Well, and as the stories come out, it sounds like, well, there was already someone charged with arson. So, man, you know. To be able to take out a, a whole bridge, but I mean, they're talking months. Yes. I mean, if you have to use that as your commute, you might be better off finding a new job because, uh, man, the, the the turnaround now, you know, for your commute is is a nightmare. I can't imagine what Marta's going to look like, like leaving North Springs, like just the massive amounts of people that are now going to be using Marta. I mean, the Marta's great. Um, when when the train's not packed, but right. you got a packed train, it's and, kind of miserable. Uh, you know, I, I'm a little nervous because you know, in in a few weeks, I've got to head down to the airport, and uh, you know, probably will have to end up taking the Marta just to get to the airport because, you know, I don't think that uh, you know, make my flight. When's your flight? It's like eight a.m. Oh, so man. Yeah, I think it's going to be a Marta, and you're not, Marta morning. But I mean, Marta doesn't start running until what, like quarter to six? You're going to have to take the very first train, and then you're going to be like cutting it really close on your flight. Well, it's a weekday, so the Marta should be running earlier. Is it? Yeah. Okay, good. Anyways. um, But basically, I saw the best meme from this, though. It was like, you know, talking about... <laughs> the new stadium in Cobb County and SunTrust Park. And it's a meme and it shows I-75 and it says, I'm going to totally wreck Atlanta traffic by opening a new stadium in the worst place possible. And I-85 then says, hold my beverage. 
that you know there were a lot of people you know we listened to uh to talk radio in the mornings and there were a lot of people freaking out about uh about that bridge being out um you know we uh in gainesville had a 5k that uh, our church uh, had a booth at and uh the the bridge collapse happened during the 5k and there were uh, a couple of people that were from our church that uh, used that route quite regularly and people were blowing up their phones asking them what was going on and then they had to find an alternate route home from Gainesville and ugh, I, I just I can't imagine having to travel Atlanta without bridge issues right but um Let's see what else was happening. Oh, our uh, our faithful Atlanta United played the defending champion Seattle Sounders and held them scoreless. And did that without Josef Martinez. Yes, who sadly is out four to six weeks with a... Pulled quad. Pulled a quad. A strained quad, yep. Basically because he played on a Venezuelan... Really nasty turf, yeah. Yeah, a turf that basically looked like it was bombed out because the pitch looked basically like freshly laid sod that had not taken root yet so ouch yeah i've pulled a quad before it is not fun but i wasn't getting paid nearly what (laughs) i wasn't getting paid anything it was high school (laughs) um but uh yeah they had they held them to a zero zero tie um you know even though we didn't get a win out of it um you know, a tie still gets us a point on the road. And, uh, you know, to hold the defending champions scoreless. At, in that stadium. In that stadium. You know, they were in Seattle. Uh, you know, I'll take that as a victory. Yeah, absolutely. Did they pipe in any sound? Uh, I, I don't Ooh. know about that. Ooh. That's, a, that's a shot to, uh, to the city of Seattle there. <laughs> who's, who's been claiming that they have the loudest stadium that was like I-85 right there. Exactly. Burn. Burn. <laughs> we got a joke about it. Otherwise, we would just lose our minds. Exactly. But uh, on to uh, bigger and better things. Let's get this podcast rolling. Um, I believe Connie wants to share a scrambled egg white with us. So uh, with that, we will uh, turn it right over to Connie. With... <laughs> Without further ado, this is something that we heard at um, EC3, which is the Evangelism Conference. This is when the last year it was in Daytona, so about a year and a half ago when we were down there and um, they were talking and I want to say it was it was Roger Hernandez that was saying, I don't know if it was someone who said it to him or if it was he had heard it said to someone else, but um, it went a little something like this. Josh, did you know Jesus served fish because he did not have the spirit of prophecy? Wait. What? (laughs) Jesus served fish because he didn't have the spirit of prophecy. Jesus didn't, or he served fish. Or Jesus, yes. Because he didn't have the spirit of prophecy. That's right. He didn't have the health message, Josh. 
That's why he served fish. He was not informed on dietary restrictions. Isn't the spirit of prophecy <laughs> written about Jesus? I'm a little confused here. How, <laughs> how could he serve fish because he didn't have the spirit of prophecy? Did someone who said that even think about what they were saying? I don't even how you even draw that conclusion. Like I just, when I heard that one, you know, it's kind of one of those things you laugh and then you're like, is that for, is this person for real right now? Like, are they, did you just hear the words that are coming out of your mouth? Wow. That, I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. So just think about that, everyone. Just remember, Jesus served fish. It was the the one miracle that was mentioned in all four Gospels. He served it because he did not have the spirit of prophecy. Well, there you have it. There's our <laughs> scrambled egg white for <laughs> for the week. <laughs> well, um, as as I've promised, uh, you know, we've kind of went with stories that uh, you know Connie found. Um, how would you say? I would say emotionally draining, but um, they get Connie in the, in the feels. feels. Yep. And, uh, you know, more tenderhearted stuff. This one is not. Um, this is one that uh, I found. This one grinds my gears. Yeah, that, this is one <laughs> that I found <laughs> uh, a few weeks ago, and I've been sitting on this one waiting to be able to share it. Um, Basically, because I just I found it hilarious. Um, I I love military stories, not necessarily war stories, but the banter that goes in between uh, the Marines and the Navy, the Army. It actually happened at the five K. Did you when I when Jeremiah and I went up to and and by the way, shout out to all of our armed forces. Thank you so much for your service, and thank you to your families as well for the sacrifice that y'all make. Absolutely. But um, there was a Marine and a guy in the, from the Army that was standing there, and Jeremiah and I walked up so that we could shake their hands and thank them for their service. And they they were like, "Can you read this?" You know, so the one guy's got Army on his on his shirt, and the other guy's got Marines. And so, you know, Jeremiah looks and he's like army that guy's like the guy's like yeah that's right we're the best you know and then he's like marines and he's like no we're the best and they're just like you know poking each other in the chest and so there's definitely kind of that that quote-unquote sibling rivalry between the branches um that will always be there but i mean they all put their lives on the line and deep down they all know that too so it, it it's 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 funny sometimes just to, to hear them go back and forth with stories. Cause I mean, you know, Connie comes from a family that, I mean, they, they've been in, you know, the Marines and, and also the army. Yes. And uh, so you get that kind of banter going back and forth and, and, and it is quite humorous and, and, and it's good that they take pride in, in, in the branch that they serve. Absolutely. Well, and also like real <clears throat> quick for those who, who don't know today, we, um, we were able to meet some of Gainesville's finest, um, Hall County Sheriff's Department, 
and Gainesville Police Department, uh, I'll just say this real quick, stopped by our church today so that our Adventure and Pathfinders Club could meet them and, and talk with them. They did some demonstrations with their canine units today. It was awesome. They spent an hour and a half at our church, which is something we were not anticipating. Um, so shout out to Hall County Sheriff's Department and Gainesville Police Department. But even like in between the two departments, you know, there's a little bit of banter. And it's just funny to like listen to them, you know, like, oh, that, no, 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 that, that's you. That's your jurisdiction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> but there's a brotherhood there. There's definitely a brotherhood and it's awesome. They, they had one story that the, the local pizza hut here, the building is in the city's jurisdiction. The parking lot is in the county's <laughs> jurisdiction. So they were bantering back and forth that if, if a fight started in the parking lot, they were going to, you know, push, them inside, pu- the push them inside the building so that the city would have to take the call. <laughs> but shout out to uh, once again, thank you so much for your service to our community, to uh, Hall County Sheriff's Department and Gainesville Police Department. Absolutely. You know, boots on the ground means more than just the military. I mean, the, the police are walking the beat every day. Yeah. Uh, keeping us safe, and, and as well as as you know the firefighters and and EMTs out there too. So, right. But uh, without further ado, um, I need to to set the mood on this one with uh, appropriate background music. So, <laughs> if I could just take a picture right now. Would you explain what what's going on right now? Okay, right now, um, Josh is currently wearing his aviators. Uh, looking like Kenny Loggins and um, if you don't recognize this music it's the theme song or the opening credit music to Top Gun one of my favorite movies uh, but used in a parody on this one okay I am not gonna tell you the title of this one because it gives it away but uh, I'll just start um, reading it here Uh, this may be the single greatest aviation story ever told. It's about the iconic SR-71 Blackbird, whose full operating specs are still classified to this day. The story, from now out of print book, Sled Driver by former SR-71 jockey Brian Schull. Um, Here is the ultimate aviation troll. There were lots of things we couldn't do in an SR-71, but we were the fastest flying guys on the block and loved reminding our fellow aviators of this fact. People often asked us, because of this fact, if it was fun to fly the jet. Fun would not be the word I would use to describe flying this plane. Intense, maybe, even cerebral. But there was one day in our sled experience when we would have to say that it was pure fun to be the fastest guys out there, at least for a moment. It occurred when Walt and I were flying our final training sortie. We needed 100 hours in the jet to complete our training and to attain mission ready status. Somewhere over Colorado, we had passed the century mark. We had made the turn into Arizona and the jet was performing flawlessly. My gauges were wired in the front seat and we were starting to feel pretty good about ourselves. Not only because we would soon be flying real missions, but because we had gained a great deal of confidence in the plane in the past 10 months. Ripping across the barren deserts, 80,000 feet below us, I could already see the coast of California 
from the Arizona border, I was finally, after many humbling months of simulators and study, ahead of the jet. I was beginning to feel a bit sorry for Walter in the back seat. There he was, with no really good view of the incredible sights before us, tasked with monitoring four different radios. This was good practice for him, for when we began flying real missions, when a priority transmission from headquarters could be vital. It had been difficult, too, for me to relinquish control of the radios, as during my entire flying career, I had controlled my own transmissions, but it was part of the division of duties in this plane, and I had just adjusted to it. I still insisted on talking on the radio when we were on the ground, however. Walt was so good at many things, but he couldn't match my expertise at sounding smooth on the radios, a skill that had just been honed sharply with years in fighter squadrons where the slightest radio miscue was grounds for beheading. He understood that and allowed me that luxury. Just to get a sense of what Walt had to contend with, I pulled the radio toggle switches and monitored the frequencies along with them. The predominant radio chatter was from Los Angeles Center, far below us, controlling daily traffic in their sector. While they had us on their scope, albeit briefly, we were in uncontrolled airspace and normally could not talk, or would not talk to them unless we needed to descend into their airspace. We listened as the shaky voice of a lone Cessna pilot asked Center for a readout of his ground speed. Center replied, November Charlie 175, I'm showing you at 90 knots on the ground. Now the thing to understand about Center controllers was that whether they were talking to a rookie pilot in a Cessna or to Air Force One, they always spoke in the same calm, deep, professional tone that made one feel important. I referred to it as the Houston Center voice. I have always felt that after years of seeing documentaries on this country's space program and listening to the calm, distinct voice of Houston controllers, that all other controllers since then wanted to sound just like that. And they basically did. And it didn't matter what sector of the country we'd be flying in, it always seemed that the same guy was talking. Over the years, that tone of voice had become somewhat of a comforting sound to pilots everywhere. Conversely, over the years, pilots always wanted to ensure that, when transmitting, they sounded like Chuck Yeager, or at least like John Wayne. Better to die than to sound bad on the radios. Just moments after the Cessna's inquiry, a twin beach piped up on the frequency, in a rather superior tone, asking for his ground speed. I have you at 125 knots at ground speed. Boy, I thought, the Beechcraft must really think he is dazzling his Cessna brethren. Then out of the blue, a Navy F-18 pilot out of NAS Limor came up on the frequency. You knew right away it was a Navy jock because he sounded very cool on the radios. Center, Dusty 52, ground speed check. Before Center could reply, I'm thinking to myself, Hey, Dusty 52 has a ground speed indicator in that million dollar cockpit. So why is he asking Center for a readout? <laughs> then I got it. Old Dusty here is making sure that every bi- every bug smasher from Mount Whitney to the Mojave knows what a true what true speed is. He's the fastest dude in the valley today, and he just wants everyone to know how much he is having or have much fun he is having in his new Hornet. And then the reply always with the same calm voice 
with a more distinct alteration and emotion. Dusty 52 center, we have you at 620 on the ground. And I thought to myself, is this the ripe situation or what? As my hand instinctively reached for the mic button, I had to remind myself that Walt was in control of the radios. Still, I thought, it must be done. In mere seconds, we'll be out of the sector and the opportunity will be lost. That hornet must die, and die now. <laughs> I thought about uh, uh, all of our sim training and how important it was that we developed as a developed well as a crew and knew that to jump on the radios would now destroy the integrity of all that we had worked towards becoming. I was torn. Somewhere 13 miles above Arizona, there was a pilot screaming inside his space helmet. Then I heard it. The click of the mic button from the back seat. That was the very moment I knew Walter and I had become a crew. Very professionally and with no emotion, Walter spoke. Los Angeles Center, Aspen 20. Can you give us a ground speed check? There was no hesitation, and the reply came as an everyday request. Aspen 20, I show you at 1,842 <laughs> knots across the ground. I think it was the 42 knots that I liked the best. So accurate and proud was Center to deliver that information without hesitation, and you just knew he was smiling. But the precise point at which I knew that Walt and I were going to be really good friends for a long time was when he keyed on the mic once again to say in his most fighter pilot-like voice, Ah, Center, much thanks. We're showing closer to 1900 on the money. For a moment, Walter was a god, <laughs> and we finally heard a little crack in the armor of the Houston Center voice when L.A. came back with, Roger that, Aspen. Your equipment is probably more accurate than ours. You boys have a good one. It all lasted for just moments, but in that short, memorable sprint across the Southwest, the Navy had been flamed. All mortal airplanes on the frequency were forced to bow down for the King of Speed, and more importantly, Walter and I had crossed the threshold of being a crew. A fine day's work. We had never heard another transmission on that frequency all the way to the coast. For just one day, it truly was fun being the fastest guys out there. This was a story that uh, that was on the, the Tribunist uh, back on July 15th, uh, 2016. And, I, you know, it came across my uh, Facebook news feed. And um, uh, after reading it, I... I, I was just I was in tears because it was it was just hilarious and, and this is this is no slight to the Navy uh, I've got friends that are in the Navy but uh, but you know, Walter is the proverbial goose it, he is the proverbial goose <laughs> and um, you know arrogance has never taken well and you know especially if your only exposure to the Navy is the movie Top Gun. Top Gun aviators uh, notoriously are are very arrogant. I mean, they're you know they they are confident, but you know arrogant. So there is a difference though between confidence and arrogance, like boastful. It, exactly, and everyone wants to be Maverick, and uh, this was just a story of when Maverick just got scorched. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Uh, that was uh, my my story that I wanted to bring and share to you guys. So. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, I'll, we will post this uh, also on our, our Facebook page, uh, Project Rise Ministries, and um, for uh, you guys to be able to read and share as well.
But uh, this brings us on to our our, our topic, um, and that is boastful Christians. Boastful Christians. Boastful Christians. And, you know, you may not think about it right now, but we're going to give three examples. And, everybody knows at least and one. Everybody knows at least one. <laughs> and um, like I said, you know, whether whether it's arrogance or confidence that's just appears as arrogance, you know, you got to be careful of how you say things, um, specifically when it's the, the Lord's work, because who really is getting the glory for for what's being done? And exactly. that's the that's the question we have to ask. That's but, the crux of of everything. Ex- exactly. So the first one we're going to talk about, and uh, Condi and I came up with these three examples. So uh, you know, both of us will chime in, but. Um, Mr. Dramatic Redemption Storyteller. And the, the, the thought that we had, and, and I, I hate to bring up um, adult beverages on our podcast, but everybody n- remembers the Real American Heroes commercials. Real American Heroes. That's, that's the one <laughs> that uh, Budweiser put out. And, um, you know, we, we've heard parodies done of these um, you know, over the years. And so in kind of like fashion without doing the radio spots, um, you know, that was kind of the the basis of a lot of these. So (laughs) our first one, Mr. Dramatic Redemption Storyteller. Mr. Dramatic Redemption Storyteller. (laughs) (laughs) These are your spiritual heroes or whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, we, we've heard this, um, you know, every now and again, this, this type of person comes up. And uh, again, this is, there's no one specific in mind on this one. But the ones that seem to live in the past about their sinful lives, um, they focus more on their story than who actually delivered them out of the fire. And the, the thing that brought this to me is we were at camp meeting and there was a there was an individual who had spoke in the adult tent and um, the the pastor Q Quentin uh, Pastor Quentin shout, shout out to Quentin Purvis yes of the absolutely. Alaska conference we love you you're awesome but uh, Pastor Quentin had heard this guy in his story. And he had talked about it in the young adult tent. And, and he's like, you know, when you have a really amazing or dramatic or influential redemption story, um, sometimes it's really easy to get almost caught up in that past life because it is such an amazing story that you become fixated on that person that you once were. Um and it's important to tell that story, but it's it's not you don't necessarily want to revel in in what you were doing necessarily that the Lord brought you from. You want to focus on the Lord and you will you want to focus on how he was able to reach you in that pit and draw you out of it. And so the focus should always remain on Christ and not necessarily what your actions were or what you were doing. Well, and, and that brings a, a good point is, is that, you know, there are people that were at rock bottom mm-hmm. that got pulled out of the fire. 
And, you know, Eugene Kitney is a great example of that. Like Eugene's story is amazing. And, you know, we'll we'll also post a link to, uh, uh, you know, a good friend of ours, Eugene Kitney. You know, he has has a tremendous story. Um, but he doesn't even like to tell it too much. Exactly. And, and that's that's where my point is going, is that, you know, there are plenty of people that have had, um, you know, the, the proverbial sex, drugs, and rock and roll mm-hmm. story that got pulled out and, and, and did a complete 180. But because their story is so sensational. so sensational they get requests all the time to keep telling it to keep telling the story yeah. and and there's a potential danger mm-hmm. of you know because every time they tell these stories they, they have they have to relive absolutely the emotions that went on absolutely so you know to get a good story can be painful mm-hmm. it and opens so, up wounds it, that... it opens up wounds and feelings that they, in essence, want to forget because they've moved on to a, a new life. They are a new man or woman. So I guess my point is, is that we have to be careful to allow these testimonies to come out on their own terms yes. and not force them. Because if, okay. if we force them to tell their testimony at every gathering they have, they have no choice but to keep remembering that. Right. And we have no idea how it affects their families either. I mean, for for their families to have to hear those stories over and over and over again, it's it's very painful. Exactly. It's, and, you know, if, if you've ever been one to, to tell a story, you tell it enough times, you get bored of hearing yourself talk. Mm-hmm. And so then you have to remember different details to keep it interesting for yourself as a storyteller, which may dig you deeper into reliving that past. And... I'm not saying that this is why we have a Mr. Dramatic Redemption storyteller. No, not at all. There are some people that definitely like kind of revel in that. And, and it is <laughs> because like, you, can, you can see the excitement on their face when they're talking about all the things that they used to do. Yes. But um, that kind of segues into the next one. Uh, Mr. One-Upping Christian Guy. And this goes on both extremes. This is this can also be that same Mr. or Mrs. Dramatic Redemption. And we're not saying it's always men. It's Sorry if that sounded that way. It's, it's women too. But, you know, there are some people that are also the Mr. or Mrs. One-Upping Christian where they're like, oh, if you thought that was bad, I used to, you know, I was into this drug and... <laughs> But there's also the other side of, oh, wow, you fed 10 people today? Well, I fed 100 last week. You should have seen it. It was amazing. You know, it's, it's amazing because we have so many people competing to tell you of how many stars are in their crown. Yes. And, uh, you know, the Bible is very clear on what God thinks of arrogance <laughs> yes. and uh you know we just have to be careful of again how we portray really god's victories because that's not ultimately that's ultimately who should be receiving the glory for that and who should be receiving the praise is the lord and if the lord's not receiving the praise then you have to ask yourself why is this conversation even happening happening right now Ex- exactly um, 
Now on to the third one. Now, if the first two didn't sound familiar to you, um, this one. Oh, we forgot to mention the one upper. There's also like the really competitive Christians out there. And we know what Ellen White says about competition. You know, we need to be very careful about it. It's good to have some friendly competition, but going back to the one upper, like the people out there that almost kind of use what's going on in their life or like this amazing strength that they've been given or and I'm sorry to do this but like for instance like have you ever come across someone who has changed their diet and they've become vegetarian or vegan and they like throw it in your face all the time all you need to do is just give it to the Lord and he will change, he will, he will bring to light dietary restrictions. And it's like, for me, you know, it all, it also, it's all about conviction. Do you know what I mean? Like in most cases, I'm going to choose a vegetarian dish. And you know that about me. If, if not vegan, like I do tend to, I've always been like that my entire life. And I've only been an Adventist for 10 years, but I mean, growing up, i you can ask my parents. I was I leaned more for, towards vegetarian. It was because I love animals, and so I have a hard time. For for our non-Adventist friends, um, we are are discussing one of the. I don't want to. It's beliefs of the church. Preference. Preference. Would, it's preference. preference. It's, it's it's not really a mandatory belief, but uh, the Old Testament diets that God first came out with uh, were, were you didn't eat meat. It was all, all vegetable. Pre-flood, yes. Yeah, pre-flood was all vegetable-based. So it wasn't until after the flood where God actually ordained eating clean meats. So this is where we're going with this discussion is, is you know, those that have the conviction of being vegetarian or vegan, um, and, and granted, not all of them are no, throw it no. in your face. You know, some people are, are very respectful. And that, some people will, will joke with you, but they're not trying to convict you of anything. Ex- exactly. Because there, there, are, there are people that, that prefer to eat meat, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there are some people that, you know, feel that they need to be vegan, and there's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. It but all depends where it becomes, on where you are in the walk. Exactly. And, and where it becomes uh, boastful is when you decide to now impose your belief on somebody else to try to convict them of what their belief is. And that's not our job. Our job is not to convict people. That's the Holy Spirit. And so my point has always been, you know, I truly believe the Lord is working on bigger things in my life that he knows eventually I will get to that point. He's, he sees my heart and how I am and how I choose when we go out to eat, especially like now when we buy groceries, it's harder because I need to cook a meal for all of you. And, and Josh, you know, is a meat eater. He's more of a meat eater. And we don't have the money to buy food to make two meals a night. So I will sacrifice and I will make meals with chicken in them, you know, sometimes beef, but we try and stick to more fish and chicken. Um, Don't let her fool you. She does enjoy a good Chick-fil-A sandwich. I do. 
I know it's terrible, but <laughs> but when we go out to eat, I tend to choose vegetarian, if not vegan, meals. Mm-hmm. It's eat it there. It's it's kind of like a free for all. You choose a burger or a steak, and I choose you know pasta primavera or whatever. But for me, it's like the Lord is working on bigger things in my life that will keep me out of the kingdom. Do you know what I mean? My pride, you know, he, there are things that he sees inside of me that it's like, if you could imagine a list of a long list of everything that is wrong with me, um, he's working on, he's got the priorities straight. And so the thing about the Lord is the thing about Jesus is he knows what the priorities are. And other people around us don't always know there are things that we're struggling with that people can't see. You know, they can see what food you're putting in your mouth, but they can't always see what's going on inside of your heart. And so for me, it's just like, listen, I'm going to trust that the Lord is working. He's got, quote unquote, bigger fish to fry, going back to, you know, not having the spirit of prophecy. He's got bigger fish to fry inside of me than what I'm currently ingesting with food. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we just need to be really careful. We need to be really careful. And once again, it goes back to we are fishers of men. We're not to clean. Exactly. And that point goes back uh, not just to diet, but I mean, you know, everybody knows a Bible thumper in, in their life who just wants to hit you over the head with scripture to try to prove that they're right and you're wrong. And, and, you know, in any aspect, you know, especially religion is people get passionate about their beliefs and and Mm. that's not bad, but where it becomes bad is when you're trying to tell, you're imposing your views on somebody else. And, you know, maybe one time out of, out of a hundred, it'll work, but most times you're just gonna, you're going to, make the other person mad you're gonna turn them off right and really was it worth being right right well that's like we have a mutual friend that that's what she thinks of adventists she thinks we're a bunch of legalistic people that all we care about is what we eat and you know like we care more about quote-unquote old testament than we do about new testament And it's sad to me that even people that are close to us, they see us and they see us as different than the people that we go to church with. And it's not because of a sinful life we live. It's because they they know that we're not like we go out to dinner with certain people and they're eating shrimp or whatever. And we're not telling them you shouldn't be eating that. Don't you know the book of Leviticus says this, you know. It's not our job to do that. All we can do is live by example. And when people ask us, we'll be honest about it. But I'm not going to tell someone while they're eating lobster or shrimp in front of me that they shouldn't be eating that and they're eating unclean food. I'm sorry. That's not my place to tell them that. If they were to ask me why I don't eat it, I'm going to tell them, you know. Or I just pray that my life is an example and that my actions and the way that I allow the Lord to carry me speaks more volumes than me ever pointing the finger at someone else. Absolutely. Um, 
I think that was incorrect grammar. More volumes. I'm sorry about that. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> grammar police. Grammar police. <laughs> on myself. Citizens arrest. Um, well, and even on the on the, the subject of diet is is I've I've had people try to sway my beliefs. As Connie mentioned, I still do enjoy a good steak or burger. Um, try to sway yeah or two or three. (laughs) Um, try to sway my beliefs and get angry about it. I mean, you know, you you can see the veins bulging out of their foreheads because they're trying to 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 convict me of this. And you know, like I said, what what your belief is 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 fine. If mine is contrary to scripture, then by all means, let me know. But if it's a preference. Right. If you were like cheating on me, that's one thing. Thanks for going right to that one. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like if you were like straight up. Well, well, even even for for the instance is under the Levitical law, there are clean and unclean meats. Mm -hmm. If I am eating shrimp, which is biblically an unclean meat, there's something that you can come back to me with scripture and try to fight that. Mm-hmm. But if you're coming back to me because I'm not a vegetarian, but the Bible clearly says that I am allowed to eat beef, well, you know, again, that's a preference. Right. And so, you know, you've got people getting angry over, you know, being a vegetarian and it's just like you know sometimes you just i don't know eat a chicken sandwich sometimes as as roger hernandez said um um, again you know i think you're lacking in your protein i'm i'm not here to tell people to eat meat just the same as you know we're not telling people to be vegetarian but do as the spirit convicts you Amen. amen um okay we're gonna move away from diet um, Actually, this that maybe our next podcast is that passive aggressive Christian, because people tend to they also don't want to like just straight up call you out because they know they can't do that. So they're like, "This is this is going to segue into the next podcast." But you know, have you ever like left potluck? Maybe someone saw you consume something that they thought you weren't supposed to consume in the next, or you sang a song. That someone thought you shouldn't be singing because it's a quote-unquote first day church song or a little too contemporary. I heard some drums in your backing track. And so they send you the message on Facebook or an email calling you out. Yes. Passive-aggressive Christian. I yes, I, I, have, be our... I have been victim of that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> all right, stay on point, on point, on point. Sorry. <laughs> um, the third one, and uh, we've all seen this in every church, Mr. Outspoken Giver Man. <laughs> or Mrs. Or Mrs. Woman. Or, yeah, exactly. I, I'm being very generic, but um, yes, the Outspoken Giver. Um, What's an example of this, Josh? Well... <sighs> I've I've seen it in in meetings. I've seen it, you know, someone's not getting their way, and they decide that they want to throw in the "I give a ton of money to this church" card, <laughs> or you know, I just bought 
a thousand meals for a bunch of kids and they want everybody to know. Biblical principle is to be a cheerful giver, but to do good in secret. Yes. So. Once again, if it's a testimony to bring light and truth to who the Lord is, because the Lord made a provision and made a way, that's one thing. But if you're doing it because you're looking for a pat on the back. And, and you know, when you take a look at it, and, and everybody likes to get a pat on the back. I mean, oh, yeah. that, that's, that's true. That's human nature. To have some sort of affirmation, it's human nature. But you have to ask yourself, am I fishing for a compliment? And if I am, what is it going to do? Right. Am I looking to boost up my self-esteem? My pride, who's really going to be getting the glory of this if this story gets out? But Josh, I am a really good person. <laughs> and I don't dispute that. You know, obviously. I want everyone to know. Obviously, God has blessed people with money that they can be, you know, more humanitarians. But again, you know, don't throw it in the face of everybody else who may not have that luxury. Because, you know, it, it, for someone struggling financially who may not be able to give as much or at all to the church, and for you to be verbally boastful about how much extra money that you have, you know, it, it, it could it could cause, cause a riff. Um... Or to use it as a trump card, like that's exactly yeah. Order or to pull it out of your back pocket to try to get your way. Right. Um, I, I've seen it before, where you know, like I said before earlier, someone didn't get their way, and they pulled. Well, you know how big of a donor I am to this church, meaning I'll take my money and leave. That's not right either. That's basically an ultimatum. <coughs> that's exactly not biblical. No, and you know. God likes a cheerful giver. Absolutely. Not a boastful one. So, do uh, out of uh, Mr. Dramatic Redemption Storyteller, Mr. One-Upping Christian Guy, or Mr. Outspoken Giver Man, do any of these sound familiar? Um, you know, it was, it was meant to be a little funny, but, you know, it's, it's, it's real issues because we're all human. And we all need to be reflective. We all need to, I mean, like, it's not necessarily pointing the finger. It's, does any of this sound familiar in my life? Am I doing any of these things? Am I posting things on social media for affirmation of others? Or am I doing this because the Lord is calling me to do this? Am I, am I saying these things to give God the glory? So that Jesus can be recognized and praised and trusted and it can it can bring glory to his name. Now, these are meant to be uh, caricatures of of some issues. I mean, I, I don't think I'm, you know, on the rare instance you see a Mr. Dramatic Redemption storyteller. But you have to ask yourself, do I fit any of these categories perhaps a little Mm -hmm. because if you can catch it early you might be able to avoid 
turning into that. Absolutely. Well, that goes back to we should be daily repenting. I mean, it goes back to daily repentance where we need to, if you could imagine like in the tabernacle and that bronze labor, you know, there was the washing of hands and, you know, they, I had heard a beautiful description of not only were they, they cleansing themselves there before they, before they walked into the holy place, the most holy place, they could see their reflection in that water and what a beautiful image that is like so you go and you there's the the offering the sacrifice the altar of sacrifice and then walking over to the to the bronze laver and it's that self-examination not to look at self and to to put self on a pedestal but to realize what we truly are and who we truly are and that without god we are filthy rags. <laughs> we are filthy rags. There's, I'm, I'm sorry to, to tell myself here, but there's nothing inherently good inside of me without God. I am selfish. I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm a sinner. And so looking into that reflection and seeing me and knowing that the only place that I can even move from here and even be called anything good is if I take the Lord with me. And if I am asking for forgiveness for the things that I have done that have not been of his image, have not been anything that is of his likeness, and then moving forward from that. I mean, it's a daily, once again, it goes back to having that daily relationship, daily walk with the Lord, because he does, he's chiseling and he, he will bring things to light that are ugly. We don't want to look at, we don't want to notice, we don't want to see the blemishes, but we need to see them, not so that we can feel bad or guilty or shameful. He doesn't want us to feel shame. But he wants us to, like, as you said, nip those things in the bud, get rid of them, wash ourselves of that so that we can continue to grow. It's that pruning process. Mm -hmm. He's going to prune off those dead branches so that we can actually be fruitful. The only way we can be fruitful is if he he prunes us. And, And it goes back to the whole thing of, you know, are we looking for affirmation in the wrong places you know who who's really supposed to be getting the glory for for pruning us for taking us out of the fire you know is it is it our redemption story or is it the redeemer right um and who's who's the one that's actually the bearer of fruit exactly and and really whose approval do we crave are we are we are we craving for the approval of man rather than the approval of God? You know, you take a look at, at social media, you know, everybody and their brother is posting a selfie mm-hmm. and checking it every 10 minutes, right. sometimes every two minutes to see how many likes and comments they've gotten. And, and this is a real issue that they've done studies on 
specifically with millennials. Yes. Is that their day rises and falls with how many likes their comments get, how many, you know, likes their pictures get. And, you know, even from the aspect of cyberbullying, I mean, you know, whatever happens on social media, which, you know, we've, we've liked to and grown to be called fake book sometimes because mm-hmm. people leave. They're only posting what they want people to see. They're it not is... posting struggles. They're posting the best. Like if you could imagine like the best of your life, that's what's being posted in most cases to social media. So people aren't seeing the ugliness they're not they're usually not seeing your trials and tribulations they're seeing oh so and so went to a really nice dinner tonight and oh they had a date night and all these amazing good things and so people think you're living this awesome wonderful life when you can be this miserable person and then it becomes a competition yes because i have to have a better life than my friends are portraying it goes back to i love the expression I'm not trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'm just glad they live next door. And I love that. That is an awesome perspective. You know, instead of looking at what our friends are doing, just be thankful you have friends. Exactly. Instead of looking at them being like, oh, and it goes back to one-upping. And, and it goes like you need we need to ask ourselves every single day whose approval are we truly seeking because if we're seeking the lord's approval we behave in a completely different way we're humble we become these beautiful beautiful people but when we're when we're craving the approval of other people around us we don't even recognize ourselves anymore because we're trying to become something that they want us to be. Mm-hmm. But when we seek the approval of God, we become the person that God originally designed us to be. Exactly. And, you know, when you take a look at who has the flashy new car, all the good clothes, um, all the latest technology, and you start competing with that, in one way or another, it takes it takes your focus off of of God, glorifying God, because now you feel the need to keep up with the Joneses, and you know, "Thou shalt not covet" is one of the Ten Commandments, and God specifically warned about that for a reason, mm-hmm. because it will take your focus away, and if you constantly feel the need to one up all of your friends you're gonna lead well in an expensive lifestyle but one that's not fulfilling because you always feel the need to it's never enough exactly you'll never never be content be enough you'll never be content with what you have exactly it's it's like what you said it will never fill you up we all have this god-shaped hole inside of us and only he can fill it and when I say that, I, I, we, we need to be careful too about like how we, how we phrase this. But when we're seeking the approval of God, it's not like righteousness by works. I'm talking about righteousness by faith. I'm talking about being obedient. And when we're obedient and we listen to the, 
the things that God is telling us and seeking his approval that way and being found in his plan that way. So not necessarily, hey, I did something good. Yay, me, you know, God's going to love this. It's, it's how can I continue to fulfill his plan here on, on earth until he returns? You know, it's, it's seeking his approval in, in being humble and in prayer. And just, again, it goes back to obedience and wanting his will to be done in our lives and not our own. And, you know, uh, you hit, hit the nail on the head there is it still is righteousness by faith. Mm-hmm. Now, you get the righteousness by faith and the righteous works will come because you will want to do all those mm-hmm. because of where your relationship with God has gone. Mm-hmm. And the works will be found good because he's the one asking you to do it. It's not you doing it because you're trying to win brownie points with God. Exactly. And if your righteousness by faith isn't there, you will try to do righteous works. But I'm not going to say always, but most likely will probably be for the wrong reasons. Because you're not at that point doing it because you love God. It's because, you know, you're you're doing it to either be seen or to think that you will be in God's favor. Because you're looking for a reward. I mean, let's You're looking for a reward, yes. You're looking for a reward. You're like, that kingdom is mine, and I'm going to earn it. You know, it's like we think of it as like trophies or medals, and it's, you know, and going back to what you were saying about keeping up with the Joneses and the brand new car and the, you know, such and such square foot house and... I encourage each and every single person to look and and people will post like, I'm really sorry, but this is like, and I've been guilty of this. And I, until the Lord showed this truth to me, and I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't make provisions and it's not a blessing, but when we constantly think of those things in our life as being a blessing, it becomes a very dangerous trap. It becomes a stronghold. And so I encourage everyone to look to see when it says blessings in the Bible, how many times does it talk about, you know, how many oxen you get or, or does it talk about being meek and being, I mean, blessed are the poor in spirit. I don't know about you, but when I've really come to grips with how blessed I am, it's in the midst of a storm is when I feel, I see the hand of God in that mix is when I feel blessed because he reminds me constantly, I know you see this storm that you're in, but you have no idea what I have kept you from. You have no idea what I have protected you from, how much worse it could be right now had I not held back this tsunami that the enemy was just going to envelop you in. And how many times that trial or that difficult situation or that 
that moment that brings you almost to the brink of hopelessness that it's you know it's like the footprints in the sand and you see him carrying you and it's like this is why he says we're blessed in this situation because it's it's what builds our character it's what i mean and that's a blessing to me when god is working on my character and he's pruning me and he's taking care of getting rid of all that that is just waste and garbage and nastiness and and not anything that resembles him and he's got his his chisel out and he's chiseling away the the excess that is not anything that looks like him and he's chiseling that away that's the blessing and it's painful sometimes it's very painful but he's working you can see him working you can feel him working you can feel him speaking to you and you always come out of it you know we think of like noah and there was a rainbow at the end there's always you you cannot have a rainbow without a storm You cannot have a rainbow without a little bit of rain. And so that's the blessing. Those storms, those trials, those tribulations, the the things that build your character. You know, when we're high on life, it's not really building our character. It's those really moments. It's those true moments of weakness where you realize that he is our strength. Amen. And well, there, there was a Bible verse that we, I love this one. It's Galatians 1 and verse 10. It says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So we... I encourage us, each and every single one of us to ask ourselves today, are we trying to please men? Because if we're pleasing men, we, we cannot be a bondservant of Christ. We must live for Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Well, on that note, um, our, our timer has gone up, so I think it's time to start uh, wrapping this up. Um, Gosh, I feel like that ended on such a... So, on a sad note, did I just take the wind out of everyone's sails? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, but uh, that's that's episode six. Um, as Connie had said, I think that she set us up for the uh, passive aggressive Christian for next uh, next podcast. And please, if you have had an example of the passive aggressive quote unquote Christian. Please send it our way, and we will share that and give a shout-out to you for sending that our way. Absolutely. Uh, I believe our email is projectrisecast at gmail.com. Say that again, please. Projectrisecast at gmail.com. Thank you. And uh, send, us your, uh, send us your stories. Your uh, feedback. Your feedback. Uh, any topics you'd like to hear. And uh, we'll certainly get those uh, put into our show. Any questions you have? Any questions? Whatever feedback you want to give us, that email is open. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we will 
catch you next week. Adios.